Welcome to the Dallas Space Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Louder. Innovation comes in so many forms in so many different ways. We believe this entire Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex is covered with people innovating. We designed this podcast to highlight the innovative things those business leaders, entrepreneurs, creators, problem solvers, the real innovators are doing day in, day out. As always, this show is brought to you by my company, Louderco. We find companies' profits through artificial intelligence and better operations. Like when we helped a massive Fortune 500 company build out their AI strategy to create breakthrough new food and beverage categories. Or when we redesigned the operations of a $100 million services company to add $10 million in net profit to their bottom line. To learn more about us, head to our website, louderco.com. Be sure to download free guides and presentations like our Intro to Artificial Intelligence presentation, or see if your company's even ready for AI through our AI readiness assessment tool. We're about to get the show started. If you like what you hear, it would mean a lot to us if you subscribed and left us a review. And now, enjoy our guests and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Dallas Space Innovators Show. I'm your host, Andrew Louder. Today's special guest is Jimmy Tran. Jimmy has an incredibly fascinating career background, having spent time at Bain & Company, CBRE, then leaving the corporate arena to be an entrepreneur in 2020, where he took an ownership stake of three Code Ninja Academies and also launched a real estate and business investment group called Oaklawn Group LLC. I'm excited to have him on the show. I think we're going to have a ton to talk about here. Jimmy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Andrew. It's a pleasure to be on. Awesome. Well, Jimmy, usually the way we like to kick things off is to give each of our guests a good minute or two just to give us a brief background on themselves, dive into a bit of a bio. So I'll turn it over to you to walk us through that. Sure. So. My background in family history, um, I was born in Houston uh, in 1980. Typically, I wouldn't reference the exact year, but for me, it's somewhat important. Um, My parents immigrated to the U.S. in 1975. That was the year that Vietnam fell uh, to communists. So uh, they fled as refugees. Um, They were sponsored by a Christian family originally in um, Colorado, and from there they made their way down a couple of years later to Houston. Um, my sister was born in Colorado, and I was born in Houston with my twin brother. So, um, you know, I, I think growing up I always had this duality where um, I was American, born and bred, but, you know, we had this history. My, my parents were refugees, so um, English was not their first language. They did not go to school here, all of that. So um, I was Asian, but American, you know. I was, Vietnamese um, uh, as well as American. So I grew up um, somewhat of a suburb, inner, inner ring suburb outside of Houston um, in a not so glamorous area called Pasadena uh, near Clear ah, yes. Lake and NASA area. If you're familiar, yeah. it's on the way to Galveston. So um, yeah, when I was 18, I applied to colleges. Um, only one was in state, uh, the rest were out of state. Um, my twin brother and I had a pact not to apply to any overlapping colleges. Um, he called UT Austin, so 
uh, I, that was out of the picture for me. Uh, he applied to one school and, and ended up going there. And then I, um, mostly out of state, but I applied to SMU and received this scholarship from Ray and Nancy Hunt. They are um, from Very the prestigious cool. kind of Hunt family at one time. They, they were, I think, you know, the Hunt family was the top 10 richest in the world. But uh, the Hunts uh, are now a big Dallas institution and they have oh, yeah. a thing called the Hunt Scholarship. So 28 people get selected a year and I was a Hunt Scholar at SMU. So that's what brought me to SMU. And I met my wife, uh, now wife, there at SMU. And um, we got married. Um, we spent a couple of years in Boston where I ended up going to graduate school. And uh, I got two masters, one in policy and one in business. And then we came back to Dallas and I've been here since. Uh, my time in Dallas, I've spent um, and I'm happy to go into this further. I've spent about yeah. 15 years in, in what I would call corporate America, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, working for the man. And so I was at Bain and Company, which is a strategy consulting firm, advising C-level and um, businesses on corporate strategy. And then from there, I went in-house strategy at uh, CBRE, which is now based in Dallas. It's the world's largest commercial real estate company. So I was there for eight years. And then just in 2020, I made a big pivot to business ownership and entrepreneurship. Um, and it feels like uh, 10 years ago, but literally it's been it's been uh, two years. So here we are and I'm talking to you now, Andrew. So it's a pleasure to be on. Yeah, I'm excited to, to chat that through. It's, it's not a common thing, I think, in terms of just even folks that I know in the entrepreneurial arena that they go from kind of the, the strategy, corporate, big company uh, comfort zone, if you will, and then make their way into entrepreneurship. So I'm excited to, to dive into that here in just a little bit. Um, I also love to hit on where, how we met. I always, it always fascinates me to look back and think about how relationships are forged. And um, you know, how, do you recall how we met, Jimmy? It wasn't too long ago. Yes, um, I'll point two things. I've, I've known of your name and we were connected online way before, but uh, that was originally through Social Ventures, uh, Social Venture Partners Dallas. Yeah. And it's, uh, for those that are not familiar with SVP Dallas, uh, there's a great gentleman, Tony Fleo, that leads it. Andrew is actually on the board. I think you chaired the board. Um, That's correct. I, I'm an SVP partner. But what we do is, um, and Andrew, you probably can <laughs> describe much better, but it's a venture, venture philanthropy um, organization. And the tagline is do good better. And so that really just speaks to me in terms of social enterprise, helping nonprofits and businesses um, prop up and then yeah. get into growth mode. And so I got involved in SVP Dallas and, and kind of ran across you there. But most recently, uh, you were honored actually with uh, the Dallas Business Journal 40 Under 40 Award. And uh, I was right. there as well. I was a, I was an alum a few years back. Actually, I was the COVID That's class. Awesome. So I Yeah, was, we talked about that. It's rough. Yeah, We've got to do really a separate rough. celebration for you guys. We did not have any sort of in-person uh, celebration at all but uh you guys had a great celebration and it was just a couple of weeks ago so congrats again yeah thanks thanks i, I had a, a wonderful time uh bumping into you there and um you know, your wife lisa was uh, an award giver right she was handing yes. out the, the awards on behalf of smu 
and so uh, really enjoy getting a, a chance afterward to spend good time with you and, and Lisa there and getting to, uh, you guys got to meet my wife Ellen and so yeah, wonderful time getting to know you there and and that's where, in hearing your background, I was like, man, he's got to come on the show. <laughs> he's got to come <laughs> on the Dallas Space Innovator show. And so I uh, reached out to you shortly after that. But um, but yeah, seriously, we've got to get some sort of event going for the COVID 40 under 40 class. Because uh, we've got to get a bigger celebration for you guys. I'll deserve it. Um, okay, so you talked us through a bit, like, your time in Houston, how you made it, made your way to Dallas through SMU, like, um, tell me a little bit, like, what is it about Dallas, you think, um, that makes it such a great place for business? Sure, you know, I, and, and I've heard this mentioned before, but you go to these um, groups and, and you, you they, they ask you to raise your hand if you were born and uh, grew up in Dallas, and very few people now can say that right. I certainly what you know I'm not from Dallas, but it really has this sort of can-do attitude, and it welcomes newcomers from all you know stars and stripes, and uh, we have a lot of that recently with corporate relocations into uh, Dallas and specifically the northern suburbs. But um, I think it's a welcoming city. I think it's uh, it, it has this sort of um, open arms and gives newcomers the space to succeed. And for people that are wanting to get involved, whether it be um, with a nonprofit board or through venture philanthropy, through the startup stuff, like we have Dallas Startup Week coming up, the tickets are free. Yeah. Uh, it's actually sponsored at SMU. <laughs> but um, there's a lot of great things to get involved. And I think if you are have any inclination of um, civic involvement or being a leader of sorts, there's a lot of pathways I feel like that that um, are available to you, and it's not like you have to have, um, you know, had the right connections or been born here. Mm -hmm. No, you know, anything anybody can get involved, and I think that's really what I enjoy most about Dallas. Um, it's home now, especially our, our three kids are in schools here. We have our yeah. my my in-laws here, and we have a lot of friends and family. So we we really love being here. Yeah. Yeah, so much so that you uh, you dove into the world of entrepreneurship and launched a few, a couple businesses at least here in Dallas. So, why don't we take us back to kind of the that 2020 time frame where you know you were at CBRE, but kind of considering making your leap into entrepreneurship. You know, what was that thought process like for you, and what really finally created that spark to make you make that jump? Well, you know, in um, 2019, I signed a franchise agreement um, to bring Code Ninjas to Dallas. Gotcha. Dallas is my home, obviously, and I, I love Dallas. I found out that uh, we did not have, at that time, I think there were probably, call it 200 locations open across the U.S., um, zero in Dallas. Um, so the territory was wide open, which is interesting and, and a little bit rare. So. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to bring the concept to Dallas because I attended a, I took my kids to a coding class. We coded this little Spiro robot, which is like a round robot. You may have seen it, it lights up and it, it's very easy to code. You can code it on an yeah, iPad cool. and you can code it to light up and spin and do different things. Um, and so I saw the spark within them as we were coding this little Spiro robot and 
I was like, wow, where, where do kids learn coding? And it turns out there's not a whole lot of places where they can go and learn coding. It's growing a little bit more, and you know, schools try, but they often they're focused on reading, writing, and math. You know, the three yeah. core subject areas. And I really believe that coding is becoming a fourth pillar of education. So um, that was 2019. 2020, I for a while I had this vision of leaving corporate America by 40. And I turned 40 in, in um, 2020. Okay. So if you rewind, you know, that 1980 reference from earlier. So yeah. I, uh, yeah, I was all geared up and ready to go. Uh, but COVID happened uh, March 2020, as many people recall. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I really had doubts. I was like, oh, this is not the best time. I, I even thought about, I, I inquired about suspending our lease that I had already signed. Um, wow. Just because it was, you know, uncertain and tough times for a lot of small businesses. But, um, you know, it's what really pushed me over the edge was um, in later in, in 2020, um, we were going through a pretty rough stretch at CBRE in the commercial real estate space. Yeah. And I got laid off and mm-hmm. it was a, a big uh, shock. You know, at the time I also, also was awarded the Dallas 40 into 40. And so, you know, yeah. it was a really weird time because, um, you know, here you are getting honored 40 into 40 and you get laid off. Um, <laughs> and and I, I think my message time. is that um, twofold. One is um, I was starting to plan and map out some of this stuff way before it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously there was something that really pushed me over that cliff, over that edge. Um, looking back, I kind of have to <laughs> question whether I would have uh, really jumped off. I probably would have tried to do both for a while and see what yeah. happens and stuff. But you know that that probably wasn't uh, exactly the plan and wouldn't wasn't um, what I had been telling myself for years. Um, the other thing I would say is that um, you know it's not, it's not easy and and I want you know it's not always um, glamorous. I took a pretty drastic pay cut going from corporate to entrepreneurship, you know, often entrepreneurship, you can't expect anything to, to to happen in the first year, you know, so Mm -hmm. um, you've you've got to be having reserves and working for free and just making sure that you um, can can live to survive another day, right, and be really young and scrappy, especially if you're in that startup phase where you're creating a concept versus versus me, which I, I brought a franchise. But you know, here we are um, now, three years later. We have three locations in the Dallas Metroplex. So we've got one in Dallas, one in the uh, um, suburb of Coppell, and we have another one out in South Lake. So um, three great territories, three great markets. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I have a real estate business too, which um, is named Oaklawn Group. Oaklawn is is an area of Dallas. Um, there's a long street called Preston Road, and if you take Preston South far enough, you turn into it turns into Oaklawn. But um, Oakland is where we live, and um, we, I, I named the real estate business Oakland Group. It's primarily a real estate investing business, but we have also invested in um, younger startups and also in some private equity businesses. So that's been really interesting as well. Yeah, that's awesome. So let's dive into a bit more about you know, Code Ninjas. You know, tell the listeners a bit more about what that is, what that experience is like for a, a customer to go through, and you know, what's um, what's what's the main offering of coding? Sure. Ads? 
Yeah, so we work with kids uh, four to 14 years old. Our tagline is that kids have fun, parents see results. And if you mm. walk into one of our centers, um, it's very engaging. Um, we have a dojo, which is a computer lab. Um, the students are ninjas. The instructors are senseis. So awesome. you can see yeah. a theme, a theme like building theme. here. Yes. Uh, it's a belt curriculum. So uh, my son is in jujitsu, and you know maybe people are familiar with karate and other things like that. But mm -hmm. we have a, a nine-level belt system. So we start with a white belt, um, and then we end up with black belt. And so at each level, you're learning um, different languages. So from JavaScript to Lua to C Sharp. And we do it in a very engaging and um, child-appropriate manner. So uh, the whole purpose is for kids to learn some learn coding, be exposed to STEM uh, in a fun way. And so they're actually coding by learning game development, by creating little games. So if you think about really basic games like Pac-Man or a ping pong game or something like that, yeah. there's code behind it. Um, you're teaching... Um, the ball to do something, the size of the ball, how the racket moves, etc. And so they're doing that in their code, and then they're seeing the little game move and create next to the code. But um, it's been really interesting. I, you know, I, um, I love education. Um, it, it's part of my interest area. I love being a small business owner because, you know, when I was in large corporate um, America type settings, um, you kind of know a little bit about finance and marketing and strategy obviously etc but you know in a small business it's at the ground level you know so i moved from like strategy consulting at the very uh you know up here in the clouds all the way down so you know now we see at the very beginning when the customer comes in the door that there's a trial we sign them up the revenue comes in we see it in our mm -hmm. pnl you know we see it from a to z yeah. I'm out there running the social media ads and, you know, getting to see the customers come in and, and uh, all of that. So it's been rewarding. And because it's in Dallas, we know a lot of uh, our my kids go to the program. We have a lot of friends Sweet. that yeah. send their kids to the program from, uh, you know, school and elsewhere that we've met. And so it's, it's been neat to see the impact just here locally on a very minute scale. Um, but yeah, just great, hearing you describe it makes me want to take my kids over there. Yeah, so we have a free uh, trial class for anyone that's interested. Um, oh, no strings attached. You can go in for the first session. Uh, and there are other centers as well that are owned by, I know all the owners in the DFW Metroplex, but we probably have uh, roughly a, a dozen or so in the Metroplex. So okay. uh, Frisco and McKinney and, you know, there's one down in um, Mansfield and Arlington. Yeah, it's all over. That's great. And in talking with me, after the 40 under 40 event, you're, you really dug into a bit of the, kind of the franchising model. You know, for those listeners out there that have thought about it, um, what are some things that maybe you've learned that you share as a bit, I don't know if it's lessons learned or best practices, but about, you know, things to look out for in the world of franchising. Sure. Um, you know, I think that franchises come in all stars, in stripes, mm -hmm. there's many, many different types of franchises. Um, some are, are are very high cost to set up. Um, you're talking about in the millions, and then others are very light in terms of um, not even having a physical space. You're just getting a product or service model that you can then go out and sell. 
or, or, or you can be the entrepreneur that's out doing the work. Um, I'll just give one very light example. Let's say you're a photographer. Um, I came across a franchise recently that does, uh, call it shoot to sell um, photography for okay. real estate. Mm-hmm. So very simple, easy, you know, it's just a one person shop really. But you can buy into that franchise. They set you up in terms of their process and their brand and all that stuff. And you can go out and just take pictures of homes um, for hmm. yeah. three fifty a pop or whatever you cost. So yeah. there's all, that one is a pretty low cost uh, franchise to get up and going. Yeah. Uh, we're kind of in between, but I would say you know that you would have to definitely look into um, what the cost requirements are. Um, what the royalty setup and terms are, you know, there, there's actually um, some liability that you take on to become a franchisee. You're mm. signing an agreement to bring that concept, Orange Theory, or there's so many franchises, you know, yeah. uh, Jimmy John's, etc., to your market. And there's often um, a requirement for you to open up one unit or uh, X number of units in a certain time frame, um, okay. and you're on the hook for that. Uh, you know, I think that uh, franchises can uh, are great in the sense that there is a somewhat of a tried and true business model that that is getting handed to you, and you're paying for that. But um, you know, some people may be more creative, and they're wanting to build something from scratch. They're wanting right. to create the business model. So you know, it's not for everybody. Um, but for, for, for some people that want to get from zero to 60 a little bit quicker and want to get to market uh, without necessarily creating all the nuts and bolts and creating their own uh, CRM or figuring out how to manage that and finances and HR, et cetera, it can be a really good um, uh, thing. And, and most of that are owned by small business owners with a yeah. couple of units each. There's some franchisees that own a hundred, you know, but many of them are, are small business owners. They're in the community. They are um, reinvesting in the community. Like for us, we sponsor a lot of local schools. Uh, we have a Boy Scouts group coming in. What is it? This Saturday at one of our locations. Oh, cool. We uh, we do raffles, auctions, etc. We just sponsored something for the Junior League of Dallas. Um, so it's really neat because it is not big corporate, big uh, business. It is small business owners just trying to to uh, scrape by and give back in many cases and to um, increase you know exposure locally for their mm-hmm. business. Many people know of the Chick-fil-A model. That's a semi-franchise, but they're very involved in their local communities with mm-hmm. each of their stores. And all of the um, owners, if you will, or the franchisees locally are uh, small business owners. Generally, they just own that one unit and they are contributing and giving back and raising um, the profile of Chick-fil-A in their local communities. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I love going behind the scenes like that. And, and you know, you also mentioned your investment group, Oaklawn Group. Yep. Uh, let's dig into that a little bit. So what types of investments do you seek, do you pour uh, money into or focus into? Um, tell us more about that. Sure. Um, so I will have to say you, you have to be an accredited investor um, to participate in some of these as a disclaimer, um, okay, good, good I and, and you people can look it up, but the accredited, uh, I think it's like a certain threshold in terms of income and or net worth. Okay. I believe it's two, 200,000 um, annual income or a million net worth. I um, honestly, I didn't know any of this until I started diving into it 
um, around 2018 uh, was when I really seriously got involved in this stuff. I had been investing in real estate for a while, single family rentals. I had a couple condos. I had a duplex, mm -hmm. etc. But uh, in terms of this world, I, I recently uh, got into it, and, and part of the reason was because again, I was planning for this exit and I was really passionate about developing passive income streams. And I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad and some of these yeah. other things. I was really into this thing called FIRE, which is financial independence, retire early. And what they usually say is in order to do all this stuff, you need to develop multiple income streams and you need to figure out how to make your money work for you. And you also need to figure out how to deploy capital to its most efficient use. And um, honestly, I did my first one in 2018. Um, and I, we, here we are in late 2022, but I have participated in, and I, I don't say this to be boastful at all, but I've participated in, in dozens and dozens of these um, syndications now. And usually what it means is mm. somebody is out raising capital for a business, a um, private equity transaction, a real estate transaction, et cetera. They're raising money. They need to raise it from 50 to 100 people, let's say. Each of them are going to contribute um, minimum of, call it, 50,000 to whatever. And um, as a, you have a little chunk or a little slice of that business and, or that real estate property. And so that usually generates some income stream, um, mm -hmm. either quarterly or monthly or yearly. And then if the business or real estate asset or underlying activity sells in three to five years, you also participate in that, obviously. That's generally how it works. Um, but yeah, now I, I participated in a private equity deal where, uh, you know, we, we own a business that owns a bunch of these massage chairs and hurricane simulators that are placed in urban wow. air parks and yeah. museum uh, airports and, um, that kind of thing uh, a lot of real estate syndications that's very typical uh, those are would be like a multifamily um, apartment complex mm -hmm. um, so i've invested in several here in the dallas area but then also outside of dallas uh, self-storage is another popular asset um, yeah. manufactured housing which is uh, mobile home parks mm -hmm. um, and then also uh, series a through c type companies which are those are riskier um, yeah. because Generally, there's no inc there's no income stream. Um, they're they're swinging for the fences, and so you're you're banking on something big happening, maybe five to ten years out. But I, I love it because it um, it exposes me and it keeps me kind of sharp across a lot of different business areas. Yeah. I read and see pitch decks all the time um, because once you start becoming an accredited investor and networking and meeting a lot of people, you just start getting into these. Um, forums and investor networks. So I'm in several now. And so there's a lot of deals being shared on there. Like um, XYZ has a new um, hotel development deal or a car wash opportunity, et cetera, looking to raise X million dollars of capital. Um, and so it's interesting because you see all their business plans. Um, you see yeah. what's, what the upfront cap, cash outlay is, what the distribution projected uh, projections are going to be and what the sale or exit is going to look like and you mm -hmm. you know you get their forecasted irr uh, return on capital etc so this is getting a little i'll pull myself back because it's getting a little business <laughs> too business i like hearing it it's really uh it's it i'm intrigued by it all honestly it's uh 
it's an interesting approach and I like cuz I'm I don't know, I'm just kind of built this way where I love learning about different business models and business plans and what the next big thing's going to be and how people operate and work and so being able to dig into business plans like you're describing sounds like it'd be a lot of fun at least for yes. me anyway, you know yeah exactly i mean i enjoy it so yeah there are there are some of us <laughs> yeah. that are kind of wired this way <laughs> and yeah then, you know as an investor you get um monthly and quarterly reports and uh right. with how's it going are we distributing cash this quarter or not um here mm -hmm. are our stumbling blocks etc and um you know i i won't name the exact company but i invested in a, a, a series a which is a very early stage startup um from someone i know it's he went through this very prestigious program called Y Combinator out in the Bay Area. Yeah, but essentially, it's uh, it's the creme of the creme of like uh, incubator programs. But yeah. every month, he sends out a very detailed report to all the people that have invested in his company, whether it be ten thousand or a hundred thousand. And he's talking about his customers, his churn, his revenue, his ARR. Yeah. They call it. Uh, it's yeah. a software company. <laughs> But it's just really interesting because you kind of feel like you're, you know, right there beside him. But obviously, you're not doing all the heavy lifting. You've just pro right. provided a, a check. Um, but I really enjoy it because it gives me a little bit of a taste and sense for what it's like, it, you know, down in the trenches. I had contemplated, you know, starting something tech-led from the ground up as well. I obviously didn't mm -hmm. do that. Um, but it, it, this gives me a little bit of insight and a little bit of uh, relief, I guess, because I'm like, wow, I'm glad I'm not in the trenches doing all of that because it's hard work yeah, it, it is not easy and it the you know you forget but these are decade-long type endeavors they're not yeah. one two year become a billionaire and leave you know it's jeff bezos was at it forever right um in the yeah 1990s. there's the overnight success really doesn't exist does it i don't think so i mean i had been working on this oflon group as uh, as i mentioned for a while and then I, I formalized it recently and you know we've been doing it kind of more seriously and since 2018 the code ninjas thing i've been doing research and kind of planning and right, wanting yeah. to be a small business owner for a while um attended this thing called discovery day signed the franchise docs in 2019 so you know these things take um some planning and effort and execution and i, I think that's also why you know many people have dreams or desires of doing something outside a, a you know a large company um yeah. but it never comes to fruition and because it's hard and it's not easy and it's not for everybody honestly it takes you know it takes some some guts and wherewithal and um yeah you know, grit risk. right yeah a lot it takes of grit. grit exactly i think a lot of people give up uh too quickly too easily and, you know the first sign of trouble they're they're just giving up and so uh, to me anyway you start kind of questioning well what was the real motivation what was their why you know of right right that and well, you know, I love I love um, Simon um, Sinek, which has yeah. this. Uh, what is your why? Uh, mm -hmm. He has that very popular TED TED talk, and you can. Yeah. Um, I, I rewatch it every once in a while, but you know, digging in, when, when you have some motivation to become rich, for instance, you have to ask yourself why. What is that going right. to enable? And then and ask why, why again? You know, because um, it, the answer may be something very different from what you think. Um, and on your point about the setbacks and the grit and the yeah. you know just ongoing um, gravitas that it takes, I 
um, love this podcast by Guy Raz. It's how I built this. Yeah, me too. I like that one. Yeah, and if the, one of the themes of that is there's always trial and tribulation in these things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's typically never a straight line, and it's never like you know, <laughs> we always see this line from the bottom going to the top right. Um, yeah. And it's often not like that. It is um, tough, and there's a lot of trials and tribulations, and yeah. often you learn the most from the tough times and the trials. That's right. one of the big themes for me too. Um, like the layoff, it kind of sucked. It was shaming, embarrassing, whatever. Right. Um, and I was a top, you know, pretty high level executive, you know, two layers down from the CEO, blah, blah, blah. But I, I feel like that was a tremendous growth opportunity for me because that pushed me off. It forced me to do something I've always wanted to do. Like I, I did not want to just stay there another 22 years and, and retire at 62. That was not right. my vision for what yeah. I wanted to do. And, uh, regard, you know, regardless even if this thing fails whatever like i'm glad i i stepped out and became a small business owner and tried to do something that i've always wanted to do because many people say that they do but they never will you know so anyway right yeah i know too many of those well jimmy let's move into the lightning round these these are questions we'll dig in more on the personal side of things and get to know a little bit more about you um you know, the person sure but you know i think you hit on some of these already so i'll jump around from the usual um, who or what has influenced you the most? You know, um, I used to read, and I know this author, Horatio Alger is his name. Mm-hmm. His um, hallmark is around the self-made man and rags to riches and just kind of pulling yourself up from the bootstraps. And there are many people in our history that have become the Horatio Algers of the world, mm-hmm. um, even down you know, to contemporary presidents or whatnot. But <laughs> the funny thing is, he himself was uh, was kind of an upper middle class guy and kind of privileged and was an aristocrat in, in Western Mass and went to Harvard. But uh, I find that a little bit ironic. But yeah, it is. Long, long answer, yes. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, is there something you're learning about right now? And, and what would that be? You know, I'm also always reading and learning as, as you, you definitely are. I'm obsessed with travel hacks. Um, mm and doing research on travel and uh, timeshares and just kind of uh, yeah. all of that. Um, and now that we have more time and flexibility, I'm always like all over travel and leisure and zoo, uh, travel zoo, <laughs> these things Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. find deals. And what's your coffee of choice? You may, I've been drinking it throughout this uh, conversation, but yeah. um, it's just straight black. Uh, I cut out the cream and sugar just because it simplifies my life and is probably a little bit healthier. So I, all I need is caffeine. Yeah. And I'm not even particular on the type of coffee. I think one of my uh, most stressful moments of my morning is just trying to get the right amount of vanilla syrup in my coffee when I make it at home. <laughs> what, well, if it's too much or too little, it could really make for a rough drive to the office. I hear you. My wife is the complete opposite of me. So she, she needs it at the right temperature, the right flavor. She has a yeah. little like frother thing and the cream mm-hmm. and it has to be at the right uh, ratio. So yeah. <laughs> that that's a bit much for me. I drop a couple ice cubes in mine. I can't drink it scalding hot. I don't know how people do that. Uh, what's your adult drink of choice? Um, it's been scorching here. So Chardonnay is probably the best for me or, yeah, good call. or just a clean lager, but um, yeah. We've had 63 days of 100 plus in Dallas, as you know. Yeah, I really, I deep down hope we, we break every record um, 
mm-hmm. according to you know, Dallas weather, you know, records, all that. I hope we've come so far. We've we've yep. tried so hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We it's the second longest already, so we're close. Yeah, we're close. Uh, what book are you reading right now? Why might you be, be reading that? Yeah, so um, this is a funny story, but my daughter's going into fifth grade, and her, I ordered some books for her summer reading list, and mm-hmm. I just read one of her books. Uh, it's called Inside Out and Back Again. Um, I read it in one sitting, you know, it's, it's geared for the fourth, fifth grader. It did take me a couple hours, but she, it's about a 10-year-old girl who escaped with her family from communist Vietnam in 1975. She was eight, uh, well, she was 10 years old and she entered fourth grade and they resettled in Alabama of all places. Um, I loved it because I was born here, but I'm very empathetic for people, refugees, immigrants, and other things, other people that, that ha- were not and had to resettle and, and learn a new system and a new country and all of that. Yeah. So it was really eye opening for me. And um, I've been to Alabama too, so I can just only imagine <laughs> the uh, culture shock. Uh, when she when she uh, arrived and, and it talks about her first day in school and all that stuff and the mean kids in the playground and so I, I just yeah, it really wow. resonated with me. I gotcha. Yeah, I must sit home. Uh, what are some uh, routines you set for yourself? Some hacks. Yeah, some hacks. Uh, I love hacks. Um, a quick one I do every morning before I swing around and put my feet on the ground. I, um, I have an affirmation that I, I say, and mine is, um, today is going to be a great day. Yes. Like yeah. That. So let that sink in. But some, some people have different affirmations. Um, you're smart, you're beautiful, you're kind, you know, I've heard of all yeah. different ones, but for me, it's, uh, I love that one because you can many oftentimes determine your outlook and your attitude for the day. So, you know, yeah. today is going to be a great day. And I just tell myself that today is going to be a great day because no matter what I approach or what, what happens that day, I, you can make it a great day. Yeah. And um, that's this great. morning, um, I saw that something was stolen from my front porch. And so that's really annoying. No. But I told myself today is going to be a great day, you know, it's so gonna you, it's going to be a great day. Exactly. There's still plenty of time to turn it around. I know it's already better, you know, yeah, so anyway, I guess it also depends the tone in which you state that affirmation, right? For sure. So, oh, today's going to be a great day. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. You're that's asking a, for it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Uh, last, last one of the lightning round here, Jimmy. What do you look forward to most each weekend? Um, well, we'll keep it on an upbeat theme here. Yeah. My kids, on Fridays, we have a TGIF where, thank goodness, it's Friday theme. Yeah. What they do to kick off the weekend on Friday, today's Friday, right? So we, we got to do Friday. this in a bit. And yes. if you follow my Instagram, you'll see many stories that have this. But um, they <laughs> do this silly thing. I record them and they, they say, it's the weekend, baby. That's what they do. Yes. And, and they, it's often at an ice cream shop or we try to do something fun, maybe when the weather's nice. And then they record that little clip. But they love it, and that, that kicks That's off cool. our weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So That's there you go. awesome. I it's a weekend, that. baby. Well, very good. Well, Jimmy, before we bring it to a close, what's it like for a customer? How do they reach out to you to get started? Yeah, so um, we would love anybody that's interested. Um, really easy. You can Google Code Ninjas Preston Hollow, which is our Dallas location, Code Ninjas Coppell, or Code Ninjas Southlake. 
and um, will be the first thing that pops up and you can sign up for a free tour come in and uh, no obligations no strings attached and you can come check out what we do we also offer summer camps and we offer parents night out and other programs but our bread and butter is a year-round coding curriculum got it very cool jimmy well you've been an outstanding guest thank you so much for making the time and, and joining our show today thank you andrew it was a pleasure and thank you all for listening to the Dallas Space Innovator Show presented by Louderco. I'm Andrew Louder signing out. That's our show for today. We hope you took away something valuable. Be sure to visit Louderco at louderco.com for more. Thank you again and stay tuned for more from Dallas-based innovators.